0: Hi, this is Pastor Ben Fagelin from Bright Church. I'm so glad you're listening to this podcast. I hope this message inspires you, deepens your relationship with God, and that you're encouraged in your faith. We hope to see you soon at Bright. Guys, we're in week six of a series that we've called Jesus Over Everything. It is a study out of the book of Ephesians. And in the book of Ephesians, there is this overarching idea that Jesus really is over everything. And I I think that's so encouraging for all of us. He is over your life, He's over your relationships, He's over your job, He's over everything that's happening in your world right now. And so Paul the Apostle, knowing this, writes a letter from prison to a church in Ephesus. Now we call it the book of Ephesians, but you would probably know it's just a letter that Paul wrote helping people to know who God really is and what He's able to do. And so that's what we're working through right now. I think one of the most encouraging things that we could learn in this book, in this series, is not just the fact that God is all-powerful and that He's over everything, but that He loves you and that He cares about you and that He wants to see you do something uh, with your life as you worship Him. And, and you know, Paul, he, he writes this, these guys this this letter in two parts the first part is theological the second part is practical we're at a point in Paul's letter where he's getting very practical and he's saying to these guys listen you know the truth now it's time to walk it out you know the truth let's get practical and let's begin to walk it out and i think that that's such a great message for the church today it's just as relevant now as it was back then, because how many of you would know that it's easy to make a decision one day to follow Jesus, but it's harder or a lot harder to give up your sin. It's easy to make a decision to follow Jesus. It is harder to give up and walk away from your sin. So here's my message title today. Are you willing to give up your sin? Are you willing to give up your sin? We've locked the doors, you're stuck. I'm going to read to you out of Ephesians chapter 4, verse 17. In my Bible, it's got a heading at the top and it says the new life. Verse 17, it says, Now I say this and testify in the Lord that you must no longer walk, which means to behave, as the Gentiles do. Gentiles were everyone that's not Jewish. And so he's actually writing to Gentiles and he's saying, don't do what they do. I guess there's something about their identity that has shifted and changed. Maybe they're now considered to be citizens of heaven. He says, do not walk or behave as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. They are darkened, which means they're unwilling and they're understanded. Alienated, which means separated from the life of God. God gives everyone a life in Him, but you can become separated. And we're about to find out why. He says, because of the ignorance. So they don't know. The ignorance that is in them, but here's the reason why they don't know. It's the hardness of their heart. Verse 19, they have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, which essentially can is like a banner word for many things, but essentially it means to be immoral. He says, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. But that is not the way that you learned Christ, assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him, as the truth is in Jesus. Don't let anyone ever tell you anything else. The truth is in him. A lot of people are going to give you their version of what's true, but the truth is in Jesus. Verse 22 To put off your old self. Everyone say, old self. Old self. Put off your old self, which belongs to your father former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires and to be renewed, say renewed, Renewed. in the spirit of your minds and to put on the new self, say new self, self. created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. Paul doesn't lack directness at all, does he? (laughs) He's pretty specific. One of the things about working your way through a book of the Bible is that there's nowhere to hide. I mean, we're just gonna have to work through every major theme of this book. And so this was a major theme in this letter to the church in Ephesus. I think it's a major theme that we can lean in and listen to today as Christians. There was a great evangelist in the 1980s. Uh, He had a global ministry, very, very successful. Uh, I think he was quite wealthy. There might've been a reason for that. He was completely corrupt morally bankrupt. That is sad. And so he was discovered and he ended up being sent to prison. His crimes were so bad that actually he had a 45 year sentence that ended up being commuted to a five year sentence. While he was in prison, uh, things began to shift and change for him. Now, he already understood the truth of God's word, but he evidently wasn't applying it in his life, which is exactly what Paul was speaking about in his letter. And so he asks this pastor to come and meet with him. And the pastor had written a book. This guy was reading it in prison, was totally uh, overwhelmed, I guess, by the content of that book. And he said, I want to meet with this guy. So he sent an invitation for the pastor to come meet with him. And he did. They sat down in prison and And as they begin to discuss things, after a little while, the pastor felt comfortable enough to ask him a really direct question. And he said to him, when did you stop loving Jesus? When did you stop loving Jesus? And the former evangelist replied and he said, I never stopped loving Jesus. And the pastor said, what are you talking about? That's crazy. Not only are you in prison for corruption, but you are having an affair for several years before you were caught. How can you say that you didn't love Jesus? He said, I loved Jesus the whole way through that. I loved Him the whole way through. He said, I'll tell you what my problem was. I didn't fear God. Wow. He loved Jesus, but he didn't fear Him. There would be many people that love Savior Jesus, but don't actually fear God. See, when we love God, the other side of that is that we're supposed to hate sin. I wonder how many Christians find themselves stuck in that situation where they love God, but they don't hate their sin. And they try to find a way to have both of those things at the same time in their life. We love the gospel. I mean, the gospel is a very encouraging message. John 3:16 You'll know it for God so loved the world He gave his only son and whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life For the son of man was not sent into the world to condemn it but in order that it would be saved by him That is a beautiful presentation of the gospel. Very concise, explains what God has done for us. But how many of you would know that that is the presentation or the invitation to have a life transformed by the gospel? And once you accept that invitation, how many of you would also agree that that decision is attached to a life that's meant to back up that decision? In other words, there should be some fruit from your life that backs it up. And I'll tell you the problem when you have a situation where people confess their love for God, but allow sin to continue to permeate their life, the problem is that they do not fear God. When I talk about fear, I've done messages on fear. (laughs) I, I, I pray for people to not have fear all the time, but I'm talking about a bad kind of fear. The bad kind of fear would be, a fear of anxiety like, or, or the fear of anxiety, uh, agoraphobia, that's a bad kind of a fear. Uh, there's all kinds of bad fears that we can have. But when I talk about this kind of fear, I'm talking about a holy awe and reverence for who God is. And when people see God clearly, they have that. Your vision would have to be obscured if you were to say, I love God, but want to continue in my sin. I would tell that person right now, you don't see God clearly. Because if you saw Him clearly and you sort of were to behold who He is, something would shift in your heart and you'd begin to change your life and turn it around and stop making room for stuff you already know is wrong. Amen. I want to explain to you this process because last week I talked a little bit about sanctification, justification, but can I do a re- quick recap? Is that all right? Yeah. Good. I'm doing it anyway. So here it is, salvation salvation is an event in your life salvation happens it is past God will forgive you of your past present and yes future sins but it's an event and it takes place when you give your life to Jesus so this is open to everyone if you're here today and you're not a Christian but you want to make a decision to follow Jesus the good news for you is that you can make that decision today. It's it's an event. And the moment that that happens, God removes your sins as far as the east is from the west. And all God's people said, it's good to have that, right? But then God is so good that He doesn't just leave you there. So we get something that's called justification. Justification is where Jesus takes the perfect life that He lived All of his righteousness, and he does something that we call imputes it to you. In other words, he gives it to you. So he takes all of your sin, gives you all of his righteousness. Christians should be the most humble people on the planet because the only thing that makes us righteous is Jesus. We are recipients of unimaginable grace. And I think that's good. So how does it work? We're saved by grace through faith in Christ. He gives us His perfect life in place of our sinful one. Justification is an event, but that should kick off and lead you to something that we call sanctification. And sanctification is the process of being made holy. It's a process. Now, it's a process that the Holy Spirit does in you and the Holy Spirit starts to convict you, we want the conviction of the Spirit. Please don't treat that as something that you don't want. I ask God to convict me of things that are wrong in my life just in case I can't see them or don't know them. We want the conviction of the Holy Spirit in our life so we know what to do and what not to do. And in the process of that conviction, every time the Lord convicts you, if you were to respond to that by obeying everything that He says, then you would be, becoming more holy. Can we agree on that? Well, how would that work if every time the Holy Spirit convicted you, you ignored it? Now, how is that supposed to work? So sanctification is the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. But you know what? It involves you. And it's a process. And we're meant to obey Him. Do you know that the Scriptures say that this is the love of God, that we obey Him and His commandments are not burdensome. They're not actually there to hurt us. They're not there to harm us. They're all there to help us. And if we keep saying yes to the Holy Spirit, then God's going to do a renewing work in our life. Isaiah 6, in the book of Isaiah, if you read chapter 6, uh, Isaiah is this uh, prophet in the Old Testament that comes and he meets God. He gets caught up and he he meets God. And uh, when he meets God, he sees the Lord. And this is what he sees taking place in this heavenly space. He sees the angels flying around and they say, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God of hosts. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God of hosts. You would hardly ever see a word repeated three times in the Bible. But when you see that, just know it is there to capture your attention. The overarching emphasis of repeating that word to the third degree is that you would get the idea that Jesus is holy or that God is holy. That's what we're meant to understand. In the Hebrew language, they had a word that would describe the holiness of God. We, we don't have that word. So in the best attempts to translate this word into the English language so that we could have some semblance of what it means, they said, what if we said holy, holy, holy? Do you get it? If there was a, a giant pit, you would call it a pit. If there was a very 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 large deep deep pit that you couldn't see the bottom you might call it a pit pit if you were to ever come across a bottomless pit you might call it a pit 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 do you get what i'm saying all right so i'm trying to convey That the the third degree means that He is absolutely holy. And this is what um, Isaiah says in Isaiah 6, verse 3. This is so rare that we would see that word repeated so times, but I want you to understand that God is completely holy. Now, every time people in the Old Testament were to encounter the presence of God, they were filled with fear and trembling. In fact, I was reading in the scriptures earlier this week that when God descended on Mount Sinai to give the Ten Commandments to Israel, they actually they, none of Israel could go near to touch Mount Sinai because the whole thing was made holy by the presence of God. Uh, you know, fire and smoke and, and and you know, thunder and lightning are the words to describe the very presence of God on Mount Sinai. And it says in the scripture that Israel begged Moses that he would speak to them because they said, if the Lord speak to us, we will die. Such is the reverence, the holy awe and reverence that they had for him. And it's amazing because the holy awe and reverence that that God that descended on Mount Sinai is the very God that's in this room. And I wonder how often we forget that they are both the same God. Do we have the same degree of reverence and holiness people in the old testament were overwhelmed they couldn't even look at him i mean god would show them just parts of him the back of him the train of his robe because if they looked on god they would die such is his holiness and the condition of their sinfulness and my point to you is simply that they had a holy awe and reverence that maybe for some people today they've lost I think there are probably parts of the church that have completely lost this this part of God's holy awe, and and, and when we see Him as He is, if we were able to behold Him in His glory and His magnificence, and, and and to see Him who He is, for who He is, I feel like in some way it would transform us from the inside out. You know, the Bible speaks about God and it says that He is omnipotent, which means that He's all powerful. He's omniscient, He's all knowing. He's omnipresent, which means that He is everywhere. And how could it be that on the one hand, theologically, we contend for these things as truth. And on the other hand, we allow sin in our lives. How is that possible? How could we see and hold and contend for this God and say, this is who He is. And yet at the very same time, make provision for things in our lives that maybe just shouldn't be here in the answer. The only reason that you do that is where well, you have no fear of God. You don't have that holy awe and, and reverence. I remember one day I was driving my car and I had been out of church for a really long time, did not have a good relationship with God at all. I can't even remember the last time that I had prayed. And I heard the Lord speak to me that day. And he spoke to me and he said, Ben, right? And he just called my name. And as soon as he spoke, I knew everything he wanted me to do. And he wanted to give up the life that I was living and to turn and to come back to him. I felt it. I knew it. Now, I hadn't prayed in a long time. I hadn't been in church in many, many years. And I audibly spoke back to him because I knew that his presence was there. And I said to him, "God, this is, by the way, my presence to the Lord God Almighty." I said, "God, I hear you, but uh, there's still stuff that I want to do, and I'm not willing to give up my sin yet." I said that to the Lord God Almighty. It sounds nuts, doesn't it? You know, who who would say that to God? And yet, so if as I'm talking about the holiness of God and turning your life around, please don't feel judged. This is my life. This is me. You know, years ago, this is exactly what I went through. And you know, if I'd have died that day, what a waste of a life that would have been. Ah, look, some people would have missed me. My parents probably. I hope so. Yep. You know, uh, I hadn't met Sarah at that time. She wouldn't even miss me. She wouldn't know me. I guess I have some friends that would miss me. But imagine that kind of a life. I grow up in church. I know the truth of the gospel. I know who God is. And then I live a life that looks nothing like the truth that I contend for or believe is actually true. If I had died that day, thank God that He preserved my life and I didn't die so I could go on to do something more meaningful and significant with my life other than to know some things about God and then die in it. I just feel like it would have been a a, a total waste. And I, I, I do worry sometimes that there are people out there whose lives are getting wasted because they are not giving up their sin and they're making provision for it, hoping that it's all gonna be okay. Well, I'm gonna read a scripture to you and I feel like the fear of the Lord might actually descend upon this room as I read this scripture to you. Hebrews 10, 26. For if we go on deliberately sinning after receiving the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins, but a fearful expectation of judgment. And that's in the New Testament. Does that put the fear of God into you? It should. This whole series is called Jesus over everything. And let me just tell you right now, Jesus is over everything, including your sin. But you need to get under His covering. Because if you try to leave the covering of Jesus and you don't want anything to do with the covering of Jesus, you're going to end up in this situation that Paul writes about in the book of Hebrews. Don't deliberately make provision for sin and then treat Grace like a safety net because it won't work. It won't work. It won't work. Some of you might be listening to this this whole series so far and you're like, whoa, 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 whoa. Pastor Ben didn't last week, even at the beginning of this message. He said, we're saved by grace through faith in Christ. It's all of Him and none of me. I can't add any of my works to it. It's all Him. So so what do you mean that, that there would no longer remain a sacrifice for my sins? Well, I think that sometimes what happens is people have a misunderstanding of how the grace of God is meant to function. And if you were to think the grace of God works uh, as a safety net so that when you live any way that you want, sin as much as you like, and when you breathe your last breath here and your next breath there, Jesus will say, you got in on a technicality because you said the prayer one time, you have fundamentally misunderstood grace. Grace is not provision to sin. It's the power to stop sinning. When God saves you, He prepares you. You become a temple for the presence of the Holy Spirit to fill you. The presence of the Spirit of God will convict you, lead you and guide you. And in all of that, you keep saying yes to Him as you go. And if you keep saying yes to Him, I tell you, you're going to walk in the favour and blessing of God. Now, I understand that there's no one in here that can be perfect. I can't be perfect. You can't be perfect. The Bible says none of us are perfect so that none of us should boast. Which one of us would say, yeah, the Lord saved both of us, but He saved you a lot more than me. I looked at your life. You got a lot of sin. I got a lot less than you. So He saved you a lot. He saved me a little. All right. No one says that. That's crazy. Here's the reality, we're all drowning in our sin. Every single one of us in this room, our situation is absolutely hopeless if it's not for the presence of God in our life. So we take that to be what? We understand that we're saved by grace and we all need His power. But when, You are saved by the grace of God. It's meant to transform you on the inside. And as you start to move towards God and keep saying yes to Him, now you're starting to walk out that sanctification process. You are becoming more holy. Does that make sense? I had a friend of mine who was in a church service recently. And he said, during worship, the fear of the Lord came upon the entire church. He said, I've never felt anything like it. In all the meetings I've been in, I've never experiencing, experienced anything like that. I said, what did you do? He said, well, I got up and I looked at the church and I told them the presence of God is in this place and the fear of the Lord has come upon this room right now. And he said, the Lord is about to expose people's mistakes and their sin. If you don't wanna be exposed, you better leave the room right now. And a bunch of people got up and left. I know. You'd be writing their names down if you're a pastor though, wouldn't you? <laughs> you're getting an email on Monday? <laughs> Maybe I, I I don't know. But, hey, do you know that whenever the Lord exposes anything, it's never to shame you, it's always to help you. That pastor that I spoke about that was the evangelist that got caught. He said spending five years in prison was the grace of God on his life. He said, I was out of control. If He didn't stop me and, and if I was not literally arrested, I would have continued in my sin and then gone on to face God in eternity. He said, it's the grace of God that I got caught. Sometimes the Lord does wanna make sure that He catches you so that you don't continue to walk on into eternity and suddenly realize the grace that you thought was there as a safety net doesn't really work. You can't take advantage of God's grace. If you love the gospel, then you want to do everything you can to make sure that Jesus got what He paid for. Amen? Amen. Who does this? Who understands how much it costs God to purchase our salvation at the cost of His Son and then says, awesome, crack a deal for me. I'll live any way I want. And the moment I see Jesus, I'll be fine. Who does that? I've discovered that when people really give their life to Jesus, they also follow Him. And you know what breaks my heart? The amount of people that I see, and I've been a pastor for a little while, the amount of people that I see that are gifted, called, the grace of God is all over them. and It's totally wasted on them. It's wasted up until the point that I can see, and I pray and hope and believe that there's a point past what I was presently seeing where they turn their life around and make a decision to follow Him. But you might be called gifted and graced. But if you're not following Him, if you're making provision for sin in your life, you are not going to walk in the favour of God like you could if you turned around and walked away. We've got to get this and understand it. Listen to what Paul said in 2 Corinthians chapter 7. He said, Since we have these promises, and the promises are uh, grace, forgiveness, and new life, Beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from every defilement of body and spirit, bringing holiness to completion. That's sanctification. It's the process of holiness through to completion. That's sanctification. In the fear of God. Have you ever read that before? One or two. Awesome. I'm so glad I used it today. Because sometimes what I think is, on the way to reading uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 2, we just kind of breeze through Verse 1, but if we just pull that Scripture out and really hone in on what He's saying, it's all the elements of everything that we're talking about. Beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from every defilement of body and spirit, bringing holiness to completion in the fear of God. You cannot embrace your new life until you give up your old life. You cannot embrace your new life until you give up your old life. You have to leave one for the other. So God finds you wherever you are, convicts you of sin and righteousness and of judgment, John 16, 8. And then in that moment, you, you give your life to God. And in that moment, by the way, you think you found Him. If anybody says, I found God, they're probably a new Christian because later on you realize He found you. How did you find Him? He's invisible. Good luck with that. He found you, convicted you of sin. You said, I believe in you. That, that wasn't you, that was Him. That You know, you've got to carry a conviction that God is real and that comes from Him. So He convicts you where you are and then He calls you out of the life that you're in and into a new life with Him. But you must leave that place to come to this place. Yeah, yeah. When Sarah and I got married, we went on our, our honeymoon and we went to Thailand. And I remember walking down the main street of Patong, And as we're walking down, you know, this guy comes out and he's trying to sell us, you know, they all got their shops along the front there and he's trying to sell me some cologne. And I mean, I can't tell you guys, I was not interested. I didn't want to buy it. You know, it's fake and watered down. Why do I need that? And so I didn't really know where I was going and I don't think we really had many plans for that day. So I'm standing there on the street corner, just near his shop and he comes over and he's like negotiating, you know, with himself because I'm not even involved in this conversation. So I'm talking to Sarah and he's just dropping his price lower and lower and lower. I think he thought I was playing hardball. There was no ball. I'm not even playing the game. I don't care. I don't wanna buy whatever you're selling. But he's got himself to a point that's so low, I thought, maybe I am interested. <laughs> and so we arrive at a price and I told him, that's all the money that I have. And he says, okay. And then I opened my wallet And I've got more money in there than what I told him I had. Now, I didn't lie because the other money I had exactly enough to be able to catch a tuk-tuk back to my accommodation. And I needed it. It was allocated. When I opened my wallet and he saw that, he looked at me and tried to take all the money out of my wallet. At which point I snapped the wallet shot, said the deal's done. And I said, that's it. I'm not doing this, right? And then he, we had a bit of a disagreement. Uh, He was loud and angry, and you know, for days after this moment, I was walking down the street days later, and he looked at me and was greasing me at a distance because I didn't buy that cologne that day. Anyway, right? I was thinking to myself, where did I go wrong? I was thinking to myself, this guy's an idiot. He negotiated with himself, tried to take my money, and when the deal didn't work, he's upset with me. What's going on? But I thought, I don't want to repeat that again. I I don't need to make all of these people upset with me. And I started thinking to myself, what could I have done better in that situation? How could I make sure that I didn't repeat that? And I realized that I had made a mistake. The mistake that I made was I didn't walk away. I just stood there. And that made me look negotiable. Because I stayed there. And he thought, I I reckon I can convince you. So he he kept going. When God leads you to make a decision to say yes to Him, if you stay right where you are, you look negotiable. You're saying yes to Him on one hand, but on the other hand, you're still going to the club. You've got a problem with alcohol, but you keep going to a bar. You know, you're you're meant to be committed to your marriage, but you're on Facebook adding friends that you shouldn't add, people from your past, maybe an old boyfriend, old girlfriend, something like that. You're surfing the internet late at night when you shouldn't be on there at all because your work is finished for the day. So what are you doing on there anyway? And, And so on the one hand, what are you doing? You're saying, yes, I love Jesus. Yes, I believe in Jesus but you're not leaving your old life. And if you stay right where you are, are you kidding me? Do you think that the enemy of your soul is not gonna come and try to negotiate and say to you, oh, it's okay, it's okay, you'll be all right. See, there's a problem. There's a problem that starts to exist when we think we've said yes to Jesus, but we refuse to change our life. And the person that's getting tricked in that moment, it's you. You think you've said yes to Jesus and maybe theoretically even in your mind you have, but you refuse to turn your back on your sin and your old way of life. Can I tell you something about God? When people, when people have that tension in their life where they don't want to turn their back on their mistakes and they don't want to turn their back on their sin, there's a reason for that. They're like, God, why are you restricting me from doing the things that I, I want to do? Every time God puts guardrails in your life, all of His rules— they're all there by love. They're all there to protect you. And the only people that don't see that is the people that lack the wisdom enough to see the reason why He put it in the first place. And so they stay right where they are. But I promise you, it doesn't help you. In the end, it harms you. When, we had, when our kids were much younger, I remember one day on, we were walking to the park and I told my kids, I said, all right, on the way to the park, make sure you stick to the footpath and don't walk on the road. And they said, yes, okay. We started walking down the driveway and immediately one of my sons ran out and started walking in the gutter. And at the moment that he did that, it was too quick for me to respond and a car (laughs) straight past him. Of course, I freaked out. And I went over to him and I said, what are you doing? I said, I told you to stick to the footpath. And he looked down at his feet and he was standing on the concrete because gutters are made out of concrete and he looked at the black road and he looked at the concrete and he said dad I am on the concrete I'm I'm still on that part that's connected to the path I'm I'm, I'm here and I realized that I'd made a mistake and I said all right we're drawing new boundaries from now on you stick to the foot path and you don't walk in the gutter because it's too close to the edge it's too close to the road how many Christians do you know that get saved and stay in the gutter they get saved and what they do is they walk here and they begin to say things like well technically I'm not sinning I haven't actually crossed the line yet but they're so close to the edge that if they were to trip they would fall into danger Everyone that loves the Lord, everyone that loves the Lord doesn't say, how close can I get to the edge of the cliff? Would you ever let a small child play on the edge of a cliff? No. So why would you do it with your own life when it comes to sin? Why make provision for it? Why get as close as you can and say, I'm still safe here. What you're meant to do is look at the boundaries God places in Scripture and draw them all the way back and say, well, even though technically that's not sin, And technically, I could explain it to my small group leader. And if I was ever caught doing that, I could say, oh, well, you know, it's not actually a sin, right? Even though maybe technically that's true, right? I do recognise that the safest place I could be was right here. Do you know what I've discovered about people that love God? They want to be in the safe place. They don't want to get as close as they can to sin. Because one day you might trip over. I'll tell you something else about this. It starts in the gutter but you're negotiable. So you'll just move the boundary. What happens is people begin to cross the line and they wait for something to happen, but nothing does. And then they wrongly believe that this is now safe. You watch someone that lives this life. They said yes to Jesus, but all they did is progressively move towards sin. And they kept on believing that the place that they were standing was safe, but it's not safe. And it only takes the right moment, the right situation. And they've moved their boundaries so far out. Do you know the Bible talks about this? It does. It says you see your conscience. How many Christians have crossed the line but seared their conscience so they loved Jesus the whole way? And we say, hey, don't you love Jesus? Get out of that place. I go, I love Jesus from right where I am. Thank you very much. And nothing bad has happened so far. So can I continue to live this life? And what I'm saying is God is calling it a holiness. He's saying you've got to leave that place and begin to walk back to this place. Why would you stay there? Why don't you want to do that? This is the love of God that we obey Him and His commandments are not burdensome. Do you know what they are? They're life-giving. It's the grace of God written down in scriptures to protect you from decisions that could otherwise completely ruin your life. You know, there are so many Christians that walk in the gutter. There really are. It breaks my heart, but I do see it happen all the time. I'll hear a story. Hey, you know, this person's making this decision now. Oh gosh, why are they doing that? And I do, and I hear it all all the time. And there's a reason for that. And this is going to be so obvious, but it needs to be said. (laughs) The reason that they're here in the gutter so close or maybe crossing the line is because the truth is they actually like their sin. Otherwise, why would you be tempted by it? They like it. They want it. So yes, they love Jesus, but they also love sin. That is a bad place for anyone to be. Some people want to ride the boundary and get as close as they can. Can I ask you a question today? What do you like that you know you're not supposed to like? You like it. That's why it's a temptation to you. It's tempting because you actually do like it. You're meant to be totally repulsed by it, but you're not. That's why it's a temptation. What do you like in your life that you're not supposed to like? What do you like that you're making provision for? I'm sure you love Jesus. Geez, guys, at the end of the day, it's the middle of winter, 11 o'clock service. You got up on a Sunday morning to come to church, you love Jesus. I know you love Him, but do you hate your sin? Because those things don't work together. Listen to what Ecclesiastes 12.14 says, God will bring every uh, deed into judgment with every secret thing, whether good or evil. Everything that's secret will eventually at some point in your life be exposed. And the grace by the grace of God, maybe it gets exposed here because you'd be a lot better off to deal with it here than to deal with it when you get there. It gives you time to turn your life around. This message that I'm preaching to you today is the most black and white, down the line, life-saving, life-giving message if you've got eyes to see and if you've got ears to hear. What do you have in your life right now that you know is wrong, but you're not dealing with it. What I'm saying to you today is that the grace of God is in full effect right now. You can turn your life around. God opposes the proud, He gives grace to the humble in humility if you come before god and say ah this is a problem i know it is and i know you know it is we both know it is but it's time to deal with my sin i don't want to deal with it i don't want to have it in my life anymore this could be the message that changes your life that completely alters where you're going in life if you respond to it right so many people that i know say i want to get close to god i know we all do If you wanna get close to God, you also need to give up your sin. If you wanna get close to God, you need to give up your sin. We all sin, we all make mistakes. I remember many years ago, Alan Meyer, he said this and just stuck with me. He said, it's okay to come to God and struggle. It's not okay to come to God and not struggle. If you're wrestling this, that's okay. If you're making provision for this, your conscience is seared and you're just allowing it, that's not okay. Can you stand to your feet? I want to pray for you today. I feel like throughout this whole message, God has been speaking to you. The title of my message, the question that I want to ask you today, really simple. Are you willing to give up your sin? Hey, thanks for listening to the Bright Weekly Podcast. We hope you're encouraged today and we'd love to see you at one of our services. So to connect further with us, head over to brightchurch.com.